Infrastructure is crumbling and the problems are only getting worse. The pressure to find solutions is hot. Let's talk about why American cities have no water, no electricity, and no money to fix their infrastructure problems. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast, hosted by Chad Smelter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. My name is Chad Smelter. I am your host. Today's guest is Micah Martin, who's the Deputy Director at Newport Beach, California. Thanks for joining me, Micah. Thanks for having me, Chad. Glad to be here. I'm excited to have you here, too, because I was going through your background, and it looks like you started in the industry at HDP, like in, was it sales or in the field? Like, how did this all work for you? In HDP, yeah, it was a construction company that we did public works uh, projects. Okay. So public work infrastructure projects and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I've always had a background in construction. And even when, and during high school, you know, I, I grew up on a ranch and we had construction equipment on the ranch and we used it to you know, maintain things and take care of things. So I was operating a backhoe and a skip loader before I even had a driver's license. So um, I was really familiar with the equipment and, and with, you know, that labor and the hard work. So uh, I was really acclimated to it well. So right out of high school, I hit the ground running in construction and, and doing public works projects. That's really cool. So growing up, so your da- was your dad or anybody in your family in construction or how'd that, how'd that work? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a fourth generation construction worker. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And uh, keeping the legacy going. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you kind of figured out that the best way might be to get into, you know, public works and, and management there. It looks like you're, you're, yeah. you made the change and at some point in time. When was that change and when did that happen? Yeah, you know, um, I, I probably worked 10, 12 years in, in the private sector doing, you know, public works construction projects. And you know, with that, you go you go where the work's at, right? So you're traveling all over the place, going wherever you could get jobs and projects and all over Southern California, out of state. And uh, it's very cyclical, you know. Sometimes it's, you know, very weather dependent. It's very uh, dependent on the uh, economy. And so, you know, I was looking for more stability and looking for more, uh, you know, um, settling down somewhere where I could be more consistent with everything. So... I slowly started working my way into the public sector, started going to school, getting the certifications, getting the college degree. And I I, uh, started with the city of Fontana in the engineering department as a public works inspector. So that's how I got my foot in the door in the public industry. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And it still gave me that close relationship with the projects and with the work that happens. And I was really excited to get more involved in, you know, having that sense of community, you know, being, involved in the pro- I always liked uh, the public projects because I like seeing things improved and made better and you know drive by something like oh we built that or you know look how great that works now it's so much better you right know? so being able to do that in a local municipality is really great it really gives you that sense of ownership right so um, it's nice to be able to, to do that and to be you know proud of the work you do and see everything come to fruition and things improved and, and maintain it for for its useful life, you know, so it's really exciting. That is exciting because if you're able to, well, in your position now, if you're able to relate what I'm hearing, uh, you know, just talking to different people, but having your experience, do you feel like that is a, an advantage now because you can relate to people that are in water supervisor roles and superintendent roles, things like that? Is that, that probably helped you a lot, I would assume. It, it's helped a ton, Chad. You know, it's like, in our industry, you know, we, a 
lot of us, we all know how to do the work, but, you know, relating to people and building teams and getting a shared vision about what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish, you know, that's, that's a major factor in what we do. And so being able to relate to people and say, Hey, I've, I've been in the field. I've, I've done the work you do. I've been on that shovel. I've raked that asphalt. I've, you know, done those underground utilities. Um, being able to relate with, relate with them on that level is very helpful and helps you to connect better with your team and, uh, helps, you know, you be able to show the appreciation to them for what they do because you know what they do because you've done it. And, um, they appreciate that too, having someone understand how important their role is you know yeah and you can relate that's the, probably the most important part is just having that ability now you you mentioned fourth generation uh in construction so kind of going back to your family again did they, they i don't know if we touched on it at the beginning here but did they have a business did they build what kind of commercial residential was there a certain specific type of construction you know it's kind of all over the place okay. you know um my my uncle had a construction company, and that's the company I worked for when I came out of high school. And working with him and my dad, my dad was a carpenter, um, and then his dad w was in the uh, concrete industry doing cement as a mason. And even before that, it was uh, road construction and grading. Um, so it's always kind of been more along the uh, public infrastructure side of construction. Um, you know, it's just that that's where everybody went, you know, they knew that that's where all the big projects were at and that's where um, there was always a high demand for, for work, you know, private construction did a little bit of that, but public construction was always where it was at, you know, that's where um, we always knew that that's the place we could go to get good, good jobs and good work and um, really contribute to, to, you know, big changes and, and big improvements yeah. in the public. So. I would imagine there, that was, Bidding, I mean, bidding is was big back then. So you had to bid on those projects and win those. So it was always never guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> it was stressful, man. It was stressful, you know. It's like when it when the market's good, it's very competitive, and it's like that right now, right? Everything's super competitive. Everything's getting really expensive. So you got to be really competitive with your bids, and that stress all the time of like, oh, are we going to get this project? Or is our bid good enough? Did we, you know, price everything right? Um, there was a lot of stress with that. So. Um, I'm thankful to have that part behind me now. <laughs> so I bet. Now I'm more worried about, are we going to get the right contractor? Are we going to get somebody good? Are we going to get someone who's going to give us a good project, right? So there's still a level of stress, but it's different. I'm on the other side of it now. So knowing, you know, as a contractor before, you know, what it took to put together a good bid and deliver a good project, it's helpful now because you could see that in other contractors. And you see contractors come in with bids and you could look at them and know, like, these guys know what they're doing. They've got good quality work. We're excited to be working with them. And then sometimes you get guys like, where did these guys come from, right? So you just never know. But um, it, it does help, you know, having that field experience helps it even in that situation, seeing good bids and good projects and, and knowing good contractors and being able to identify them, you know, from that aspect is, is really helpful. Yeah, I'm laughing because I remember when I was doing the construction stuff and bidding on projects, it was, you you get one contractor, it was like a couple hundred thousand dollars more than everybody else. <laughs> We're like, wait, where, where yeah. did they come from? Like what? what yeah. Happened? Yeah. What happened here? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. I always found it interesting because there's uh it seemed like there was always a strategy. If someone had too much work and they were a contractor, right. They would just highball, you know, just throw in a massive bid. And as a, as a business development manager, I was like, well, doesn't that just discourage them from wanting to bring you on as a city next time when you bid again and you lowball something? Yeah. You know, wouldn't that 
No, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And, you know, from being on the private side, I understand that, like, you know, if, if you're a company and you've really scaled yourself out to have a lot of work, um, you kind of spread yourself thin. And then so when you look at other projects and you go to bed, you say, OK, well, if I'm going to get this project, I want it to be worth my while because I've got to, you know, re-strategize how I deploy my resources and put my people and, you know, get the equipment out to where it needs to go. And if you're spreading yourself thin, you're going to want it. You're going to want more money to make it worth your while. But if you're scaled appropriately, right size company for right size projects, then you can deliver competitive bids because you know how to deploy those resources. You have them available. You have good partnerships with people um, and, and you're able to deliver better bids. And, and people who bid on public projects know that, you know, the public industries require to go as lowest bid yeah. and the lowest responsible bid. The lowest price doesn't always mean you're going to get it. You have to show that you're a responsible bidder and that you can deliver good projects and um, have a good history with other organizations. So putting all that together is really key. And um, the, the public sector is very, very competitive. So yeah. um, having those right contractors in the industry makes all the difference in the world. So, When you say responsive bidder, you know, I just want to touch on some of that so that people in the audience understand when they, they want to bid on projects so they understand how you think about things. Um, when you evaluate a bid tab, right, and you get all these prices and things, what are some of the things that come to mind when you're, you know, besides just, you know, just the price? I know you mentioned responsible. Do you go through and reference check? Like, how's, how's that all work? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, even some projects, you kind of do pretty big qualifications, right? But um, you want to make sure that, you know, the contractor has been around for a while. They've got some good, good relevant experience. You know, if it's somebody who typically builds structures and now all of a sudden they're going to try out their their hat in water utilities and it's like, OK, you've never done this before and you're going to try it with us first. Like you're a little apprehensive. Right. So you take all that into consideration. If you have a contractor who's very well experienced, delivers a great project, got a great history in the industry, um, and maybe they're just a little bit higher, sometimes, you know, that, that factors in and could make the difference, right? Um, so, you know, there's more to look at than just the price because you want to make sure you're partnering with somebody who's going to be good to work with over the next year or two, depending on the size of the project. Right. So, um, they've got to have all the great references. They've got to have, you know, good work history, good working relationships. Um, and, and we do those reference checks. I call other cities all the time say, Hey, have you worked with these guys before? You know, have you done projects? How successful was it? How good were they to work with? And, you know, that's all a factor for sure. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. So if you do run into contractors that just don't perform the way they they, you know, put themselves out to be uh, as this great contractor and they don't do what you expect, how does that work in the city aspect just to give people more perspective? Yeah, you know, so, um, you know, it starts with the bid first, right? Sometimes you reject bids for certain things, like they don't have a complete bid package. They left specific critical information out. Um, they can't meet the insurance requirements. They can't reach the level of bonding that they need to reach. So those are some of the very first things that um, even factor into awarding a bid. So sometimes you don't even award because they, there's just not enough stuff there, right? Yeah. Or they don't pass references or background, anything like that. But even in the project, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it does happen. Sometimes you get into a partnership with a contractor who just doesn't 
meet the expectations. You know, they're not delivering to the level they said they would. You know, they, they have a schedule and the schedule is blown out of the water and it's taking a lot longer. The quality of the workmanship's being called into question. You know, so a lot of times you have to, you know, stop the project. Sometimes you have to, um, cut your losses and, you know, go back out to bid and try to get someone to come in now and pick up where they left off. And it's, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of money lost in that situation. Yeah. There's a lot of time loss. You, you lose, um, you lose favor with the public, you know, public side, like, what's going on here? They started this project and now it's just sitting doing nothing, right? It makes us all look bad. So yeah. we want to avoid that at all costs. So it's really important going into it that you do your homework and you're making sure you're going to partner with somebody who's going to not put you in that situation, right? So you want to show a good face with the public and know that they could uh, rely on you to deliver good projects. And uh, So you got to really take your time and be diligent right up front because you just got to make sure you get off on the right foot. Yeah. I didn't expect us to go right into bidding right away, but that's what we did. <laughs> so I want to go back, kind of switch topics again, but uh, let's, let's yeah. talk about like your supervisor role. And as you were moving up through the public works channels, did you have a mentor? Because getting into becoming a deputy director, there's obviously stepping stones and, you know, things you got to do to get there. What were some of the unique, uh, you know, people in your life that helped you get there? Yeah, you know, it's, it takes a, a village. You've heard that term, right? And it takes a village with everything, and especially in this industry. There, there are so many people involved in what we do, and there's so many people who contribute to the success of individuals. You know, we, we're, we can't be a uh, self-made, you know, independent individual who's successful all on their own. Not in this industry, you can't. You know, there's too many people involved and too many relationships you have to build and be dependent upon each other. So the more that you do that, the more at least in my experience, the more that I've done that, I've, I've become more successful and it just even more quickly, you know, just building good relationships with other people, um, having, um, you know, people in the industry who are your peers, who um, are, are, are a great example of what you want to be and um, the type of, uh, you know, supervisor, leader, manager you want to be is, you know, getting to know those other individuals and then being a model for you. You know, I, I have a mentor. Um, who's been my mentor for probably about 10 years now. And uh, he's, a, he's a retired public works director. And he's, he was a public works director for many years. Nice. And it's great to be able to have someone like him to go to and ask questions and draw off his experience and help him um, you know, give that good guidance that you need. Because all the time we come across things that we've never had to experience before and it's new to us. And yeah. I, like I mentioned earlier, I call other cities all the time, other, you know, other public works directors and other agencies and, you know, I'll say, Hey, you know, how are you guys handling this over there? How do you guys plan on tackling this coming up? These new state mandates, these new requirements, um, you know, see what they're doing. You know, the public, the public likes consistency, right? So, um, we all want to do our things the own way, our own way. And, you know, there's something to be said about, um, you know, copying the other guy right but the public enjoys consistency so if you look at other cities and you see how they're successful doing things a certain way you want to kind of model that too because you know they've shown a, a good example on a path of success that's worth um, following and you know you may deviate a little bit depending on which organization you're with but you know the public when they go from city to city you know the city you work in versus the city you live in and 
in the city you travel to or your family lives or something. They like to see consistency, and it's weird to drive from one city to the next and see all these major differences, right? Yeah. It's just not common. So, um, you know, being able to, you know, um, have those resources available, people you could talk to and, and relate to and um, get good guidance from, you know, is really where the success comes from. It doesn't come from the individual. It comes from the network, from the industry as a whole. You know? Yeah. Now I noticed you have the, you got your education and then you got your field, like you've been in the field. So you got, you got both. Um, what do you, what do you think you got the most education from obviously your, your studies as well as in the field? What do you, what do you, uh, where have you gotten your experience more? Do you think? Yeah. You know, the, the field experience goes such a long way. You know, it's just, um, knowing how to work hard, um, knowing what it takes to get a, job done, uh, knowing what it takes to have a, a good crew of guys, a good crew, a, a good team of individuals working together, that's been invaluable the most. I mean, the education is important too. And, you know, I really didn't start making that movement up to the higher levels until I got that education. So it's it's essential as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to diminish that. I, I think, you know, the education is important. The education has helped me with the professional level, right? Being able to write well and presentations and um, public policy and all that type of stuff. You have to have the education to go with that. But when it comes to, you know, building a good team and delivering good service, that, that field experience has probably taken me further than any of the education has. So, yeah. but you know, my advice would be to anybody is to do both, try to get that field experience and couple that with some education to go along with it. And, and having that combination is really going to be the key making a difference to progress in your career you know yeah and that's a that's a great point because writing is a skill that uh, i tell you i never had coming out of high school and not really ever thought about it being important and i really quickly realized oh. as i was moving up in my career i was like I, I really need to work on that stuff you know because it is yeah there's so much writing at this level you know writing staff reports writing um you know, public correspondence, writing, you know, uh, publications that, that go out to the, the, the media. I mean, there, there's so much writing that's done, you know, writing, uh, you know, policies, um, procedure manuals. I mean, you have to write all that stuff and there's so much to be written. And, you know, especially with staff reports, it's really, you know, it sounds like something simple, but there's so much that goes into a staff report because, you know, you have to know your audience. And this is a document that's going to be read by you know, people within the organization, and it's going to be read by city council. It's going to be read by the public. You've got a really broad, diverse audience that you're writing to. So you got to really take time and consideration into understanding that audience and writing in a way where it's going to make sense to a person who's well versed, and also to a person who's just a layperson and has no knowledge. You got to meet both, right? So it's really creative writing. So that creative thinking, that creative writing that you learn in the education system, it's super valuable. And it, it wasn't until I, you know, got that education under my belt is where I really started making good progress in that, you know, and, and still to this day, I still struggle with staff reports. They're hard. They're just hard. But, um, you know, yeah. the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But um, it, it's crazy the amount of writing we have to do and uh, the, the thought process we have to go through when, when putting stuff like that together, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. And um, you, you're spot on. Now, what 
with the you know AI and things like that that are happening now when you're talking about Ray, I, I would assume you had an editor check everything, the, or at least the city had somebody. <laughs> how did how did that work? And then yeah. what do you see as far as AI? Have you tried AI with writing uh, yet, or not yet? Yeah, you know, um, well, we have our own internal process here um, of review, and it goes through a, a bunch of different people. Okay. And you know, there's a group of people that review the fiscal impact section all of the money part of it there's another people that review to make sure we're in compliance with the city style guide and that we're writing in the, in the right style and, and form that we're supposed to um there's there's people that review it for a lot of different things so it goes through a whole chain of review process before it finally gets approved and published and um, it's rare rare for one to go through without any edits there's always some edits to do right and that's fine it helps make us write better but um you know, with regards to AI, you know, we don't, we haven't really taken a position on that. You know, I've played around with it and I mean, it's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive what it could do, but I, I see the difference. You know, you could tell when somebody's written from, you know, their own, you know, critical thinking process versus something that's been programmed to write, you know, based off the information you give it. So it's a, it's a tool. It's a great tool. Uh, it's impressive, but, um, I, I, at least not right now, I don't see it taking the place of, you know, an individual's creative writing skills. You yeah. know, it's just somebody who's an experienced writer, somebody who's very knowledgeable in their industry and can relate at a human level. You know, I, I don't see AI taking the place of that. And maybe it's a good filler to kind of help. Maybe it's, you know, I've used it as kind of a prompt, you know, it's like, hey, I, I'm trying to find a way to start a discussion on this and I'll use it as a prompt that way. But, um, it, I, I don't see it taking the place, at least not yet, for, you know, just someone's creative writing ability and the way that they um, relate their experiences and their knowledge and their education to what it is they're writing about. You could see that when you read it. You know what I mean? You could tell the difference. Yeah. My wife is a writer and she's like, yeah, that you, you wrote that in AI chat. And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love it. I yeah. like getting that support yeah. of writing because that's not one of my skill yeah. sets, you know, just trying to make sure yeah. I write, uh, you know good structured format right and and that's a quick way of getting right. structured format it's very specific and it's not that creative it's very just straightforward right yeah yeah it can, it can become very generic very quickly yeah and, and i mean imagine like you know let's say you, you wrote a staff report and you used ai to do it and if, and the public's going to see that and be like really like you you were that lazy you had to use ai to write the staff report come on right they're not gonna, you're going to lose respect for the public in a situation like that or, yeah. or you know your other other people within your organization so like i said i think it's a good tool for you know to help you know maybe start a process yep. or you know get get the wheels greased so to speak but nothing can replace the you know the skill set that we've learned as humans and and communicating to each other and relaying information right yep. so yeah you're spot on man and that's a great example of how to use it and how not to use it <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so switching uh, topics again, let's talk about like talent, skills, you know, hiring right now is a huge issue um, for a lot of construction companies and, and public works departments and stuff like that. How are you guys overcoming that at Newport Beach? Yeah, you know, um, hiring is difficult, you know, and it's, you know, when you have a large staff, I've got, you know, 65 employees over here on the operations side and we're, we always seem to be carrying some vacancies. You know, it's always something, you know, if people move on to another organization or they retire, 
Um, sometimes you have people out on long-term disability. There's, there's always something going on. So I don't, I don't like to look at like, oh, we've got these vacancies and, you know, that means we're not operating at the level we should be. I tell my staff all the time, if you're ever at 100% with your staff, enjoy it while you can because it's not going to last. Yeah. It's going to be very short-lived. Something's going to change. Someone's going to leave. Something's going to happen. So, you know, don't ever try to model yourself on 100% staffing level because it's it's really hard to maintain that. But um, with regards to hiring, you know, it's it's trying to attract the right people. You know, you want people who are interested in the industry and not in the money. At the right. Right. A lot of people are motivated by how much money they're going to make an hour. Like, oh, I don't care what I do as long as I make good money doing it. Right. That doesn't work here. That doesn't work in this industry. You got to have a passion for what you do. You have to have an interest in what you do. So attracting the right people who are going to be interested in the work that they do. I've, we've hired people to um, lit, our very entry level positions, a part time maintenance aid. We've hired people to come work on the beach to litter pit. Yeah. And uh, they think, oh, I'm going to go work on the beach. It's going to be awesome. I'll be on the beach all day. And they come and do it. And it's actually hard work walking around on the beach all day, picking up litter and trash. It's hard work. And so they do it for like a week or two and they quit. And they're like, this isn't what I thought it was. And they leave. So, so you know, like, okay, that wasn't the right person for the job. So they're really, you know, selective on, on you know, the type of people you're attracting and who you're bringing on board. You want someone who's going to be committed to the work they're doing. Yeah. And that's so committed to just making the money, right? So when you have those people who are committed to the work, that's what makes the difference. And, and instead of focusing on hiring the people too, I, I focus on retention. Yeah. Let's keep the people we have. Let's try to, you know, focus on our retention and um, help our staff to feel how important they are and the value of their work. And it's hard in the public industry. You know, they're, in the private industry, you have, you know, other motivators like, profit sharing bonuses and, you know, all these extra things that you can get in the public sector. We don't have that luxury, right. you know, we can't, give, you know, give bonuses to people and stuff like that. So, you know, motivation in the public sector is very different, you know, pay, pay is important. Of course, people need to make a, a good living, but, you know, you need to find people and get people to be motivated by other things, you know, motivated by, you know, a job well done, motivated by delivering a great service to the public, yeah. motivated by caring for the work that they do. You know, some of the most passionate people I've worked with are people who, you know, are, are city arborists, are tree trimming guys, are guys who maintain the parks. They they love trees. They love plants. They love, you know, um, grass and turf. They love taking care of it. They've got the green thumb, you know, that's all that stuff. So, so they're passionate about what they do. So we get a lot of great work out of those guys. And they're such a great team because of it. You know, same with the guys who do the asphalt paving and the concrete work and the fleet maintenance guys. They love working on trucks and all that stuff. So yeah. getting the right people in the right place, getting them to see the value. You know, I, I take a supportive approach. I tell them, I'm here to give you what you need to be successful. And tell me what tools you need, resources, education, training. You know, that's all all part of it and i'm here to help give them that so when they when they're receiving that and they're being able to improve themselves you're getting a better employee out of them they're getting more value in the work that they do and everybody's benefiting from it you know yeah. it's not just um somebody who's coming in to earn a paycheck every day you're spot on man it's about community and it's about helping others it, it really does and that's the type of people you got to hire in public works and they got to have the passion to to want to do 
what's right for others. And I think that's your, your, your spot on. And, and you're right. It's competitive out there. You got to keep the employees engaged. You got to keep them wanting to work there because uh, they'll try, you know, other cities will try and, you know, potentially attract them to their city, you know, that kind of stuff I've seen kind of going on lately, which is, you know, tough to overcome, but that's the reality of the world we're in right now. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of competition with pay, you know, and it's, it's hard in the public sector to be competitive with pay. Um, you try to be consistent, you know, yeah. and along the same lines, but um, what I've, I've found, and, you know, it probably isn't a really popular opinion, but, you know, somebody's motivated by the pay, then maybe they should go somewhere to get better pay. But, you know, if somebody really loves what they do and they love where they work, the pay is not the only thing, you know, yeah. and you try to you know, compensate in other ways with other types of benefits, you know, that are, are, are unique maybe. But um, you, you want people in the right place doing the right job, doing, doing what they love and love, love where they do it. You know, a lot of people love working for the city of Newport Beach and they're just here because they love this organization. You know, yeah. they're here because they love the environment they're working in, you know, so it doesn't always have to be about the pay. So if I find someone who's just it's all about the money for them and they want to leave somewhere to go for more money, then more power to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, I'm not going to agonize about, OK, well, should I be paying more? Should I be doing this and that? If I know I'm consistent in the market and we're being fair then then we're doing what we need to. And it's just about having the right people. Yeah. So, so true. So true. I keep thinking in my head about the guy you hired or a girl you hired for the beach job of cleaning up the trash. And I figured they had a lounge chair probably just waiting just to sit like, man, we're going to set that bad boy up and, and sit in the beach all day. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. funny. It's not, it's not what it seems, you know? Well, and people tell me all the time, I tell them I work and they're like, Oh, it must be so awesome working at the beach every day. I'm like, it's not how you think it is. Not at all. It is great. I mean, it's beautiful. It's great. Right. And there's a lot to do. And that's the thing. There's so much to do to, to make it that way. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful, well-maintained city, but we have to work so hard to keep it that way. And when I go to the beach now, I, I just see work. I see, oh my gosh, there's so much work to do, <laughs> you know? But, um, so, so if I go to the beach for, uh, recreation, I go to a different beach. I don't go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not distracted by the work. Right? Yeah. So, You're like looking around. It's yeah. like, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Well, yeah. well, this has been a pleasure talking to you, Micah. It's a, it's amazing, you know, hearing the story about what's going on in Newport beach and learning more about you and, and your experience. So thank you for sharing. And, um, how can people get a hold of you? You know, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. They could catch me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. That's where I, where I, uh, spend my time when it comes to connecting with people and networking. And uh, I like to write posts about the organization and the industry. So um, that's a great place to go. Catch me on there and um, I'll, I'll see you guys around. Love it. Well, thank you again for joining me and uh, thank you for all the, the work you're doing there at Newport Beach and, and your experience for sharing it. Appreciate that. Thank you, Chad. It's been great. Thank well, you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Infrastructure Hot Seat Podcast. We hope that this show brought you some insight on relevant topics within the infrastructure world. Please join us every two weeks on Tuesday for the next episode. If you're interested in being a guest on this podcast, please set up a 15-minute interview with your host at calendly.com slash chadsmeltzer. 